Welcome to the Empowering Grace Podcast. The following sermon is by Joe McIntyre, Bible teacher, author of nine books, and pastor for more than 35 years. We've picked one of his greatest hits to share with you today. A full transcript of this episode, plus other resources, are available at empoweringgrace.org. May you know the goodness of God in a fresh, new way today. Here's Pastor Joe. Prayer, I think it was John Wesley that said, prayer is not overcoming a reluctance in God. You know, sometimes, um, and I, I have been a part of much intercession, but in some meetings that I've been in, the sense was we've got to get enough people to repent so God will move. I agree. But what we need to repent of is not believing what God says and appropriating it. You see? See, as long as we find God unwilling, we're missing the point of the throne of grace. Out of the throne of grace flows rivers of living water for the healing of the nations. See, I think what happens when we have a move of God, when we have a fresh outpouring, is somebody or some group of people actually get desperate enough to believe God. You see, if if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in every born-again believer... Where's God going to get any more power to send? See, you and I already have the powerhouse in us. What we need is to cooperate with him, let him use us, and be willing to step out in obedience beyond what we've known before. Faith brings us in touch with unseen realities. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, My light affliction, or our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. Now, the only way to see unseen things is through the eye of faith. You see, God knew our situation. See, what faith does is faith brings you into contact with the unseen realities of the spiritual realm. Now the Bible says in Ephesians 1.3 that we're already blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So much of our praying can be misguided because the Bible says we already have it. Now what I'm saying to the Lord is, Lord, I believe I already have it, but now I need you to teach me how to walk in it. I'm not trying to get him to send it. I'm saying, Lord, teach me and teach us 
how to better appropriate and walk in what we already have. See, it's a finished work. But we, the fivefold ministry, are to equip the saints until we grow up into him in all things. See, so, so my desire for myself and for you is that we would grow up into him. Now, he was anointed by the Spirit of God. Did you know that? <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, deliverance to the captive, open the prison doors, blind eyes, favorable year of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him to do those things, wasn't it? Well, you know, in the same book of Isaiah, it says, My Spirit, talking to Jesus, the Father's talking, he says, My Spirit, he says, This is my covenant. As for me, this is my covenant, the spirit that's upon you, Jesus, and the words that I put in your mouth shall not depart from your seed nor from your seed's seed. It's a three-generational promise of the same anointing and the same words that were on Jesus and in his mouth. Now, I'm claiming that. I want that. Don't you? But you see, it's not like... Lord, oh, please, I know we're not Jesus. I know. Well, just quit it. You're his joint heir. You see? Joint heir means fellow heir. Heir of the same type of inheritance, you see. Now, I don't know if you thought about this, but he's already inherited all authority in heaven and on earth. So what's your part? Well, your part is to appropriate his grace so that you can exercise godly character and dominion wherever God has placed you. See, God wants you and I to be salt and light. There's a massive renewal going on in the church. People are waking up to what I consider to be apostolic vision. Instead of thinking, hang on till the end, they're thinking, take the nations. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all nations. There's a move of God that, that's, that's fiery. And, and God wants us to be a part of that. He wants us to be thinking like we're actually born of God. Yeah, we are. We are. But sometimes we don't think like it. Well, oh Lord, it's just so tough. Well, it is sometimes. I I can vouch for how tough it can get. You know, I, I would love to see immediate answers to challenges I face. But I expect to see them because I'm not trusting in what I'm doing. I'm trusting in what he did. I'm putting, I'm putting all my marbles in one basket. You see, he is faithful. He keeps covenant and shows mercy to a thousand generations. See? But it's all about relationship. You see? When you get up tomorrow and you go to into your prayer time with the Lord, 
I want you to have these things ringing in your ear. My father's waiting to talk with me. He loves me. I'm accepted. I'm completely and totally forgiven. And he wants to download what I need to face today with. See? Letting the Spirit of the Lord have liberty in us. I did a series uh, all about the time we were transitioning out of the old building called the indwelling. And the Spirit of the Lord was just talking to me about coming. See, I, you know, you pray to the Father and you, maybe you envision him upon his throne. And the Lord Jesus is your heavenly mediator. And you can come boldly to the throne of grace because Christ is your high priest. And you can trust him and you develop that relationship. But there's a certain point in your walk with God, as Kenyon put it, he said, we need to become God-inside-minded. Part of the Godhead lives in you. How many believe that there's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Yeah? Well, the Holy Spirit, who is God, lives in you. See? I know that's not a new thought. But... It might be a renewed thought. See, a lot of times, Paul's challenge with the thorn in the flesh. I want to give you the take the Lord has given me on that. First of all, it wasn't a sickness. He said it was an angel of Satan sent to buffet him because of his abundance of revelations. So, unless you can claim the same abundance of revelations, don't claim Paul's thorn. Just a thought. But, but you see, the thing was, he was saying, he pled with the Lord three times to take it away. Angel, angelic being, harassing him, stirring up persecution, trying to kill him, trying to silence him, trying to stop the revelation that God had given him. And he says he pled with the Lord three times to take it away. And the Lord didn't say, no, Paul, I'm not going to take it away. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My supernatural power is brought to its goal in your weakness. Now, if the supernatural power of Christ is working in Paul, do you think he had authority to deal with that angel? Well, he says... Therefore, I will rejoice in my weakness that the power of Christ might rest upon me, pitch a tent over me. Now, if you've got the Messiah's anointing on you, do you think you might have authority to deal with angelic spirits that are harassing you? Yes. I think the revelation Paul got was what John said in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And in the Old Covenant, a Jewish believer would cry out to God to deliver them. But if you read through Paul, 
He prays for the Ephesians that the Father of glory would strengthen them with might through his spirit in the inward man that the Messiah might dwell in their hearts through faith. In other words, it was Messiah in and Messiah upon Paul that enabled him to defeat that angelic being that was assigned against him. Now, let me just say, probably none of us will have the level of spiritual warfare that came against Paul. So whatever you face, you have authority over it. You can break its back. You can stop its assignment. In my early days, I was ready to resign from being a Christian. I got saved and... The, the enemy just started harassing me and tripping me up, and I began to fall back into sin. got delivered out of drugs, alcohol, and promiscuous lifestyle, and all these kinds of things. And for about a year, I walked really, really victoriously. And then I started getting hit with these temptations and all of these things. And, and I didn't really know how to deal with it. And I finally ended up kind of slipping and falling and got really under total condemnation and shame. And I went, this is, when I think about this, I think this is so silly, but I went down, I went in my bedroom, got down, kneeled down to tell God I was resigning. I wasn't going to be a Christian anymore. And I got a revelation, well, I had the first vision I've ever had. I saw the cover of Kenneth Hagin's book, The Believer, The Authority of the Believer. My cousin had tried to give it to me, but I was so discouraged, I didn't want another book, if you can imagine that. I mean, you know, Bookaholics Anonymous, you know, is my, my 12-step group. But, so I saw this vision, and I went down, and uh, I got the book, and I just read through it, and, and Hagen talked about the Lord appearing to him and telling him about if he didn't deal with the devil, he, Jesus wasn't going to. And, and the Lord said, you need to address the spiritual wickedness coming against you. And you need to command it to cease in its maneuvers and to stop in its operations in Jesus' name. And that was like lights went on in my darkness. And I began to do that. I didn't have immediate success, but I started to see things turn around and I began to get victory and I began to, to get, I began to recognize the enemy's attack and I began to address it. See, what happened before was that once I would start to feel tempted, he would, it's like one devil would, one demon would come on this side and say, you need to sin. The other demon would come on this shoulder and say, you rotten thing thinking like that. It was a double whammy. And I fell for it for quite some time until I learned to stand up against it and command it to go in the name of Jesus. And you can do that. We can all do that. Many of you have heard these things and know them. But sometimes we need to be reminded of what we already know. And we need to take our stand and expect the name of Jesus to do what it's supposed to do. You know, uh, you've probably heard the translation of John 14, 
12 through 14. The works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works shall you do, because I go to the Father, and whatever you demand in my name, that will I do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Whatever you demand in my name, I will do. See, it's translated ask in so many scriptures because uh, the translators really didn't have a vision for our authority. What Jesus was saying was you do the works of Jesus by using Jesus' name and Jesus backs your use of his name and the whole process brings glory to the Father. There is a place for prayer and we do pray to the Father in Jesus' name. But that passage is talking about doing works. It's not talking about prayer. So you and I have the privilege and the honor of using the name for kingdom business. We're commanding the enemy to take his hands off our stuff, our job, our family, our finances, our health. We have authority and the right to use that name. But you see, it only works if you don't let the devil mar your fellowship. See, you've got to stay in the place of knowing you're forgiven. Well, what if I sin? First John 1 John 1.9, if you sin, confess it, and God will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I used to do that and think I was on probation. But I finally, I actually it was in Kenyon's book, In His Presence, he said, when you confess your sin, believe God deals with it. He said, don't glorify the devil by going on wallowing in it. Take a stand. God is faithful. When he says he'll forgive you, believe him. But I don't feel forgiven. See, there's that sacred cow called your feelings. I know that thing. I've been trying to kill it completely for many years. Feelings aren't bad unless they lie against the truth. God gives us feelings. Feelings are a good thing in in potential. Joy is a good thing. Happiness is a great thing. There's There's an appropriate time to grieve. But... But God wants us to live above the lordship of our feelings. There's two things that rival the lordship of Christ in our life. They are our thoughts and our emotions. They're great servants, but lousy masters. See, don't let your thoughts rule you and don't let your emotions rule you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Agree with God's word. Let God's truth be the final authority in your life. See, faith is believing that God is an honest being. Faith is just accepting what God says about your situation as though that's the highest authority. See, what he says, so well, 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 I, I asked God to, to do that. And, and what did he say? Well, he said, if I asked anything according to his will, he hears me. And if I know he hears me, I know I have it. Okay, so do you have it? Well, I don't, I, uh, I'm not, I, I don't. But he says you do. Well, I don't see it. I don't feel it. See, you have to learn to accept a thing by faith. 
as a reality and trust God till you see it show up in the physical realm. See? There's a higher sphere of reality. Uh, Let me read one quote and I'll close here. But uh, a very respected scholar uh, wrote this little uh, explanation of of the Greek word for substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. He said it denotes that which is placed or stands under something else of the true essence or being of a thing which stands under the appearance or the phenomenon and secondly of truth or reality as opposed to mere fancies or conceptions, the body as opposed to its shadow. So if faith is the substance of things hoped for, then when God gives you something in its spiritual form, it's more real than it will be when it shows up in the natural realm. See? It's the underlying reality by which... See, everything that was created was created by God speaking, right? So all physical matter came into existence because God, a spirit being, spoke spirit words and those spirit words were freighted with power and God brought forth a a physical creation. So God wants to bring you up to his level and say, Son, I want to speak to you. And when I speak into your spirit, it's reality. And if you'll trust in that unseen reality, it'll show up in the natural realm because that's how I created the world. It's good news. Yes. Yes. Now, Satan fears this and fights it because he doesn't want us to become uh, living in that place where all of our prayers are getting answered and all of our commands are are being heeded because that means a church he can't deal with. Well, let's do it. And, And let's also envision the fact that Paul said that when Christ returns, he will present to himself a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish that's been washed in the water of the word. So, uh, you know, what if, what if, just, just give this a thought, but what if the present church in America is walking in 10% reality and 90% tradition? Well, we would probably make a great stride if we were walking in 20% reality and only 80% tradition. Now, that might be an underestimate of the reality that we're walking in, but but if, if it's going to be a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, and if he's given us his glory that we might be one, even as he and the Father are one, that the world might know that God sent Jesus, then if we're 30,000 different Protestant denominations, it's not exactly one. Well, the Lord could come any minute. Well, I I said this years ago by accident, but I think it's not all that bad. What for? We don't look anything like what he says he's coming for. I think we've got a lot of work to do, but not works. We've got to take the time to listen to heaven and trust in the finished work of Christ and, and pray and obey. See, 
Grace working in you creates faith, and faith working in you creates godly works. Works that aren't trying to earn God's blessing, but works that proceed from knowing God's blessing. He's working in us. See? He's working in us, and that work... See, faith without works is dead, but you see, it isn't telling us that we add to need add works to our faith. It's telling us that real faith works. Real faith produces results. Real faith changes your lifestyle. Real faith gets theory to practice. All right, I could go on for forever, and you probably thought I did. So, Well, Father, we are hungry for reality, and you have invited us to come to you and experience you. Lord, we want to be pleasing to you. We want our faith to grow, and we want to enter into all that you have for us. And we pray tonight, Lord, that this would just be a fresh seed to stir us up to trust you and to not let the devil steal from us, not let condemnation and shame have any place in us and come with boldness to your throne of grace, Lord. Find your mercy, find your grace, and defeat the enemy wherever he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Grace podcast featuring pastor and author Joe McIntyre. Visit our show notes page on empoweringgrace.org for a full transcript of this episode and more from Joe on this topic. If you like this podcast, please consider leaving a rating or review. Thank you.